0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of GTI Insights, the Global Taiwan Institute's Policy Podcast. My name is Marshall Reed, and I'm a program manager here with GTI. And I'm Koji Kawamoto, an intern at GTI. And today we're so excited to be joined by Dr. Antoine Bondas, a research fellow and the director of both the Korea program and the Taiwan program at FRS in Paris. At FRS, he leads really fascinating research on Chinese foreign and domestic policy, security dynamics related to Taiwan and the Korean Peninsula, and broader strategic issues in East Asia and the Indo-Pacific. In addition, he serves as a lecturer at a number of French universities, including Sciences Po Paris and the Paris War College. A prolific writer of research and commentary, his work has been published globally, and he's a frequent speaker at forums and conferences around the world. Antoine, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much, Marshall. It's It's a pleasure to be interacting with you all.
0: Well, Antoine, we're, we're so excited to be able to speak with you at what is proving to be a really interesting time for France and its relationships with both China and Taiwan. Just a few years back, I think you could safely say that France's partnership with the People's Republic of China was on solid ground, with French white papers describing the relationship as a, quote, global partnership encompassing all topics and areas. However, the last several years have seen a fairly remarkable shift in this dynamic. Like many other EU states, France has really fundamentally altered its approach to China in recent years. Driven by growing awareness of Beijing's human rights abuses, as well as mounting discontent with aggressive Chinese diplomacy, Paris has increasingly framed China as a geopolitical rival. At the same time, France has gradually expanded its relationship with Taiwan, sending several delegations to the island in recent years. With all these dramatic developments kind of unfolding in front of us, we're we're so thrilled to have you here to discuss France's evolving approach to the Taiwan Strait, Recent events in the France Taiwan relationship and the future of French policy in the Indo Pacific. So, to begin, I always like to set the stage a bit, really kind of give a bit of background on what we're talking about. So, for listeners who who might be unfamiliar, how has France traditionally approached China and Taiwan? And I, I guess more importantly, how has that approach evolved over time?
1: Sure. Uh, thank you for your question and the opportunity uh, once again to uh, discuss that very important topic for for me, but also for the French people. On our relationship with China and and, and Taiwan, um, our strategy towards China was made of a lot of engagements over the last few uh, decades and past decades. Uh, you need to understand that you know we we still live with the idea that uh, France is a very special country among the uh, EU and uh, among the EU member states, and that we had a special relationship with China. And the Chinese, of course, for the last few years, have always enjoyed reminding everyone that France was one of the first Western European countries to establish diplomatic relations with the People Republic of China back in 1964. So we had lots of engagement in the 1980s, in the 19. 90s. And the main two areas of cooperation were, of course, economic issues, but also more global issues. And I would say that over the last five years, there were two main objectives, two main uh, pillars. The first one, of course, was uh, the economic dimension. And the main objective of President Macron was to rebalance upwards, as we say, uh, economic ties uh, with China. China is by far the biggest deficit trade deficit we have with any country. It's more than 35 billion euros, so it's massive, and the relationship is very imbalanced. Uh, of course, with uh, difficult access to the Chinese market, including the public, public, I mean public, public currency market, etc. and the idea once again that we needed to make everything to make sure that relationship with China would change. Honestly, over the last. Five years, we partly succeeded, the diplomats would say. I think we partly failed. Uh, We have obtained very limited concession on the Chinese side. We've obtained, for example, the total lifting of the embargo on French beef that uh, China first instituted in in 2001. We uh, pushed at the EU level for an agreement ensuring the protection of more than 100 European food products in China, including 26 French ones. And we had very limited agreements on the pork export from France to China. If some areas in France are affected by African swine fever, because the Chinese used to just stop all of the imports, and now it's only limited uh, stuff. But otherwise, we we failed to rebalance upwards the economic relationship. So that very big pillar that has been for decades to benefit from China's growth, to benefit economically from it has proven uh, unsuccessful. We have, once again, massive trade with China, but it's very imbalanced, huge deficit. And if we focus on the investments, I would say that here again, there has been a lot of fantasy about the reality of Chinese FDI in France, and they remain at kind of a low level compared to other European countries investing in France. To give you just an example, the stock of chinese fdi in france are around 8 to 9 billion euros when investment coming from the netherlands are around 80 to 90 billions when investment coming from germany are something around 75 billions so very limited actually chinese investments and investments that have decreased over the last 3 4 years and that's the general trend actually of chinese investments uh, within the So the very big economic pillar, even though it has been quite uh, successful for some French companies, has proven to be a very, very partial uh, success. And the second pillar over the last few years were actually more kind of the global issues. And in terms of global issues, especially climate change and biodiversity, once again, very limited successes. Very limited uh, because we had an illusion from 2017 to 2020, that France mattered, and that France could obtain some concessions from China. And it was a case, actually, uh, because of the Trump presidency that made the U.S. withdraw from the Paris Agreement, the COP21 Paris Agreement. So, of course, France appeared kind of the guarantor, the defender of the Paris Agreement. But, of course, China remained in the Paris Agreement because the US left, and we didn't get, actually, major conviction on the French side. Just to give you an example, same on biodiversity. Back in 2020, before COVID happened, we were supposed, actually, to host, in France and in China, two major events related to biodiversity. Uh, As you know, the Marseille Summit on Biodiversity happened a few months ago. The one in Kunming that was supposed to happen this year has been permanently uh, delayed and will be organized at the end of the day in Canada in Montreal uh, next year. So, on that area, I would say same, climate change, biodiversity, we have achieved very little uh, results. So, the main two pillar, economic aspects and uh, global issues, including uh, climate change, very limited concession on the Chinese side, even though, and I will conclude on that, it's very important for us to keep engaging China on other global issues, be it, of course, uh, the issue of Iran, the issue of North Korea, the issue of Ukraine, even though we we disagree mostly. And as P5 permanent security members, of course, we need to keep engaging with China. But once again, our expectations, our hopes have proven very uh, kind of not only limited, but we have achieved little. So it forced us, the French side, To of course, kind of adapt and rethink a little bit the relationship we have with China. Like many European countries, France seems to have increasingly pivoted towards the Indo-Pacific in recent years. Do you have a sense of how the Taiwan Strait fits into Paris Indo-Pacific strategy? Yeah, sure. So there has been a lack, kind of a lack of coherence initially in the French Indo-Pacific strategy, but it has been solved in the sense that the Taiwan Strait and Taiwan was not even mentioned. In the first version of the government strategy that was released in uh, July 2021, in the updated version that was released in February 2022, Taiwan is mentioned. The Taiwan Strait is mentioned, and Taiwan is mentioned, of course, as an economic. But let me go back maybe to the French strategy toward the Indo-Pacific. We have a very unique uh, French strategy compared to the other uh, EU member states for a simple reason. We have sovereignty interests in the region. For us, it's not only about you know, China and US, it's not only about trade, it's not only about climate change, it's about our sovereign interests. We have more than 1.6 million French people living in French overseas territories, from the Reunion Island in the Indian Ocean to uh, French Polynesia, down uh, in the South Pacific. We have more than 7,000 soldiers permanently deployed in the region, and of course, 90% of our exclusive economic zone, so our maritime space, is in the uh, Indo-Pacific. So for us, it's more than just trade and more than climate change. So we had initially a strategy focusing mostly on security, mostly on security, because of these sovereignty issues, first, and also because the Ministry of Armed Forces already had a strategy, a strategic strategy in the Asia-Pacific. So it was kind of easy for them in 2019 to translate our Asia-Pacific security strategy into an Indo-Pacific security strategy. So the main objective of the last few years has been to rebalance our strategy, to add a more economic climate change, people-to-people exchanges dimension. And it has been done actually quite successfully over the last few years. You can see that the French Development Agency has been much more active than before. They have their own Indo-Pacific strategy. They organized with India on February the 21st, 2022, an Indo-Pacific kind of dialogue of development bank in the region. So we have successfully, I would say, rebalanced our strategy, that focusing mostly today on two key strategic partners: India and Japan, and of course, Australia, and we can discuss it maybe a bit uh, after, is no longer considered as a strategic partner. How does, I would say, China and Taiwan more broadly fit into our Indo-Pacific strategy? First, we need to be very clear on the fact that Paris has become an EU leader on security issues uh, vis-a-vis China over the last few years. And we have long taken into account, I would say, the risk that China poses, including the Indo-Pacific. So we made clear at the EU level that uh, we were addressing these kind of security issues with China in the region. We were the one to try to convince the Germany and the Netherlands first, and then the whole EU to adopt a strategy for the Indo-Pacific. But we do much more than that. And let me be very brief on what we do in the region as regards China, even though we don't communicate that much. First, when we published our Ministry of Armed Forces strategic update in January 2021, so 18 months ago, we mentioned China an unprecedented number of times. And actually, China was even more mentioned than Russia in that strategy. Second, last year, we've deployed a nuclear attack submarine to the South China Sea to carry out a mission of strategic interest, as we say. And last but not least, in the fall 2021, we transited the French Navy intelligence gathering ship, so-called Dupuis de l'Homme, through the Taiwan Strait. So communication through action is very clear, even if the words we use are often toned down compared to the US. So for us, security matters in the Indo-Pacific, China matters, and the Taiwan Strait matters. Then we need to be realistic. The role that France can play in in case of a crisis in the Taiwan Strait is limited. We have few capabilities. We our capacity to project forces in the region, even though we have demonstrated them in projecting, for example, forces from mainland France to French Polynesia in less than 40 hours. That's something we can do, including with uh, our aircraft uh, Rafale. But we have limited capacities. And the other EU countries, of course, have no or very, very limited capacities. So in case of a contingency in the Taiwan Strait, To be very honest, I don't think the Europeans are part of the military equation, and the French won't be part directly of the military equation. But it's not because we're not part of the military equation that we are not part of a broader equation. And in that equation, let me be very clear, that's something I I kept repeated at the European Parliament and and to the different um, EU member states. The Europeans, and especially France, need to do much more than before in contributing, in preventing a conflict in the Taiwan Strait. This is the role we can play. And I think if there is one lesson to be learned from uh, the war in Ukraine, if that deterrence has failed, and we need to do much more toward China. Once again, not to say that we are entering a war against China nothing like that, but just to make sure that our interest is maintaining stability and peace in the Taiwan Strait is being addressed. And that we do more to make sure, once again, that there is no unilateral change and especially by force of the status quo in the Taiwan Strait.
0: Great. It, it really has been interesting to watch this, this kind of pivot among a bunch of European countries, but particularly with France, towards Asia. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, these sort of comparisons between the war in Ukraine and a potential contingency in the Taiwan Strait. I'd be interested to hear, you know, situating France within broader EU trends, are there, are there lessons to be learned besides just that deterrence has failed from the, the, the war in Ukraine, you know, are there are there broader implications of this war that are being felt both in you know, the EU Parliament and within France?
1: I think the first one, of course, is the political risk. The political risk is to kind of break or disrupt the dynamics we had in Europe toward the Indo-Pacific. So, as you know, we uh, published our EU strategy for cooperation in the Indo-Pacific in September 2021. The French, at the French initiative, actually, we organized an Europe in the Pacific ministerial meeting in Paris. It was back in February 2022. The idea was to gather more than 50 ministers of foreign affairs from a country from Europe and uh, the uh, Indo Pacific. And we had, of course, a lot of ambitions in terms of EU and EU member states in the Indo Pacific. And of course, Ukraine came. On that. And the key objective right now at the political level is to make sure that we can kind of maintain the dynamic. We cannot amplify it. We need to be honest. It's not the time right now to really amplify our dynamic in uh, European dynamic in the Indo Pacific, but at least to make sure we maintain what we plan to do initially. So that's very tricky because, of course, Ukraine is priority one, two, three for any. Uh, European leaders this day but we need to make sure to keep it and I have good hope I would say because if you check the Czech presidency of the Council of the EU so it will start in July 1st after the French one uh, they are quite ambitious and they will organize uh, key conferences in the region mostly in Southeast Asia in uh, Bangkok Jakarta and Singapore focusing on cyber focusing on the climate change Focusing on space. So we can remain optimistic, but we need to be very uh, careful on that. So I would say that the first political impact. The second impact is we need to make sure that some new issues are being addressed. And I think that one issue that was not that much addressed in the Pacific before the war in Ukraine and that the war in Ukraine forces to address is the question of energy security. Not only because we need to uh, identify new uh, source of imports, especially of gas, but also of oil, but it's much more difficult for the gas. But also because this energy security issue is very important. And that's something that we share with countries in Southeast Asia, with countries in Northeast Asia, and in which we can cooperate a lot. Australia is a huge provider of LNG. Energy security means protecting the sea line of communication. It also means to make sure to try to regulate prices when we came, but it's also at the end a question of uh, climate change and the energy transition to make sure, for example, that to the countries in Southeast Asia, in South Asia, we Europeans can offer alternative to fossil fuels, and we can basically assist this country in providing capacities, technologies, uh, etc. So I think that would be the two main lessons to be drawn from Ukraine. On the military side, let's be honest. I think the consequences of Ukraine is very important, of course, for China, especially for Taiwan. But in the relationship between Europe and the Indo-Pacific, I think the impact is quite limited. Once again, there is a risk for us to kind of refocus maybe even more on Europe than before. So we need to address it. Uh, We need to once again expand the areas and the issues we want to address, but the direct consequences for our strategy uh, towards the indo pacific uh, are still quite limited, hopefully. Earlier this month, a delegation of French lawmakers visited Taiwan, the third French visit in the last year. What has been behind this recent diplomatic outreach to Taiwan? Was there a specific event which sparked it, or has it been the product of broader trends in French Asia policy? Sure. So these MPs either from the National Assembly or from the Senate are, are, are very important, and I would say they are quite common. Uh, They are quite common because uh, over the last 20 years, no matter the majority party in France or in Taiwan, we've had this kind of parliamentary uh, visit. So I would say they are kind of frequent and they are quite normal. The Chinese embassy in France made them, I would say, not normal or not as normal as they used to be uh, last year when the Chinese embassy explicitly criticized senators, that were willing to go to, um, to Taiwan. And that's basically when I, I just defended the right of the senators to just to go to Taiwan because they are part, of course, of the legislative branch, not from the government. So they can do whatever. Uh, and of course, once again, it's just some regular and normal uh, working visit. And that's when the, the Chinese ambassador actually in Paris labeled me as a crazy hyena, as a little thug, as a villain, etc. So actually it was the Chinese side to make these visits not only kind of abnormal, or at least to make them very visible, but these visits are very normal. What is new, I would say, is not so much on the parliamentary side, even though two resolutions were adopted, both at the National Assembly and the Senate last year, to um, promote the participation of Taiwan within international organization, when of course the status allow it, just like uh, the World Health Assembly of the World Health Organization and, and, and others. But I would say the major shift is the shift at the government level. So it's not a major shift in terms of policies, and we have not questioned our One China policy, but de facto, we have stopped what I called invisibilizing Taiwan. For many years, the French government invisibilized Taiwan. We basically made sure never to talk about Taiwan, to make visible some discussion we could have to Taiwan. And one of the examples, of course, once again, is the first version of the Indo-Pacific strategy that did not even mention Taiwan. So I would say that we have shifted on that. We have de facto discussion between France, could be the civil society, of course, uh, and Taiwan. And and we, of course, uh, endorse them. But we just have... I mean, it's just the idea that Taiwan is important for France. And Taiwan is important for French interests. And stability in the Taiwan Strait, of course, matters and is important for us. And there is no reason for us not to say it. Not to say it because, of course, tensions rise in the region, but also because the EU is much more vocal than before. So I would say that we have stopped invisibilizing Taiwan, not only because we need to be a little bit more outspoken than before, but also because the EU itself is doing much more than before. And it's quite common now now, to have uh, EU commissioners or the secretary general of different DGs, kind of the ministers uh, within the commission of the uh, European Union, to talk openly with uh, ministers uh, in Taiwan. What we do not do yet is to have official discussion, even kind of informal discussion, Uh, between French government members and Taiwan government members on the way the Czech, uh, the Poles, or even the Germans have. Because just to give you an example, the Taiwanese Minister of Culture was in Europe uh, a few days ago. He visited Germany and met the German Minister of Culture. He did not meet officially uh, the French Minister of Culture. So I would say we have shifted a little bit, but we are still not there. And there is much more than we can do because, once again, Taiwan is and remain a very important partner, including an economic, technological partner, a partner in culture, education, etc.
0: Great. I, I like the term invisibilized. I, I think that sums up how a lot of countries have treated Taiwan over the years. I'd like to kind of expand on something you just talked about there, that despite the fact that Taiwan lacks formal relationships with any EU states currently, it has been pretty successful, like you mentioned in the Czech Republic in Germany, in Slovenia, Lithuania, in building more informal ties, building business relationships, having smaller people-to-people relations with these countries. Be interested to hear, you know, you mentioned that Taiwan is a valuable partner. Do, do you see any particular areas where Taiwan and France could cooperate more going forward, whether on the you know business front, at a sort of sub-governmental level, or you know, is there anything that would be particularly productive?
1: First. I think we need to be clear on the fact that for Central and Eastern European countries, it's often easier, I would say, to uh, engage with Taiwan than for France or Germany, because we're a bigger country and we have a lot to lose towards China, especially if we engage too openly with Taiwan. It's, at the end of the day, kind of easier for Lithuania to do it, for the Czech Republic to do it. And that's why they've been engaging much more openly, much more vocally, with um, Taiwan than France or Germany. But once again, France and Germany, they do more. They do more, especially at the EU level. Uh, You need to be, I mean, we need to be clear on the fact that if the EU moved a lot of the last few years on Taiwan, that because France and Germany and other countries agreed on it. If we've had an EU investment forum, for example, in October 2021, during which... You had President Tsai Ing-wen, the Minister of Economic Affairs, Wang Mei-hua, but also the head of the European Economic and Trade Office, Philippe Kregorski, and the Director General of the EU Commission, Digitrade, Sabine Veillon, to participate, that because France and Germany agreed on that. If Taiwan is explicitly mentioned in the EU strategy for cooperation in the Indo-Pacific, that's because France and Germany uh, agreed. So... Once again, we do more than before. It's for sure not enough, but we do more, especially uh, at the EU level. But I think the EU level is telling us uh, what are the priorities. Right now, some of the priorities are, of course, in terms of the resilience of supply chains, the big issue, of course, of semiconductors. Uh, That's why you've had direct interaction between EU official and Taiwanese companies and health to make sure that uh, we do more and we discuss more explicitly. Even, even though we could have done better, just an example uh, Thierry Breton, so the Commissioner for Internal Markets in charge of the so called European Chips Act, visited in October 2021 Washington, Tokyo, and Seoul, but he did not visit Taipei. He should have visited Taipei. So the resilience of supply chains, semiconductors, of course, are one big issue. That's EU, but also the French, of course, want to see addressed uh, with Taiwan. The second one is that our societies share the same objective. We want to protect uh, the democratic debates by detecting digital interferences in our electoral processes. Uh, as you well know, Taiwan has been uh, facing this kind of digital interferences, and they have multiplied initiatives to detect including in involving the civil society, uh, these interferences. And I think we can do much more between Europe and Taiwan, between France and Taiwan on that. Uh, The EU Commission have a so-called East Stratcom Task Force that includes a so-called EU Disinfo versus Disinfo service. It's kind of a Disinfo- I mean, counter-disinformation task force within the EU. And of course, we should engage the Taiwanese on that. And same at the French level. We uh, created in July last year by decree a very specific institution, administration, called Viginum. They are in charge of fighting uh, digital interferences, foreign digital interferences. And once again, I- I'm strongly supporter of kind of discussion between France and Taiwan on that. But beyond that, I think that many forms of cooperation should and must be uh, explored. And we could have one very good channel of communication, one very good framework of cooperation, that is a so-called GCTF that uh, Americans know well. So the global cooperation and training framework that was created in 2015 between the US and Taiwan, that Japan has joined as a full partner in 2019, that Australia has joined as a full partner as well in 2021, and with which many EU member states participate on some very specific workshop. I think the EU should join that uh, global cooperation training framework to make sure we can boost kind of working level cooperation, technical cooperation on many issues from public health, to media literacy, from energy efficiency to cybersecurity. There is a lot we can do. And through that framework, I would say it's a bit less political than having a minister uh, visiting Taiwan. So that's a very practical step. I've been a, a strong supporter uh, on the EU side.
0: Great. Well, Antoine, I, I think you've done a great job of really providing context to what's clearly a pretty rapidly evolving relationship between you know France, China, and Taiwan. I, I think all of us here at the Global Taiwan Institute will be watching closely over the next little bit to see what happens next. But it does seem like there is a, you know, a good foundation for a strong relationship going forward between France and Taiwan. But thank you again. And uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us for another episode of GTI Insights. Many thanks also to the great staff and interns at GTI for all their help with every step of producing this podcast. If you're interested in learning more about GTI, Be sure to check out our website at globaltaiwan.org, where you can find information about our Global Taiwan Brief and all of our frequent public seminars. You can also listen to more episodes of this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Until next time, this has been GTI Insights.